I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello, hello, hello! Welcome! Get in here! Come on in, we got plenty of Mass Effect to talk about this week. A whole lot to talk about this week. Like, too much, some would say. Some would say that Mass Effect Andromeda is too much Mass Effect. I, Eric Van Allen, would say that. This episode of Normandy FM. Good lord, Kenneth Shepard. Good lord. Me, I, I, like... Do you want to lead with this conversation? Because like, I feel like this is something... If we want to get this out of the way before we get into like the, all the shit that we're supposed to talk about today. This Might is well Im- this now. This is important framing for everyone to understand. Listening to this podcast, I've talked frequently about how I have played Mass Effect Andromeda before. And there was a section that I quit at. And for the longest time, I just had like a vague recollection of what it was. And I got to fucking Kadara Port... And I saw Kadara Port, and I tried to open a door on Kadara Port, and I was like, this is the shit that made me quit right here. This is it. This is where I stopped. I know it. I feel it in my bones. This is where I stopped playing Mass Effect Andromeda, because I was like, I am done with this bullshit. Uh, yeah, can like just to, to set the stage, so this, this episode in our outline is broadly called The Archon Ship. Because that's kind of the main narrative beat we're going after this episode. Uh, we have returned to Aya, victorious with the Moshai. And because we're not monsters, we saved all the, the Angarin as well. Uh, we're having a good time. Uh, and, and we kind of get told that we need to hunt down the Archon, obviously. But figure out what the Archon's up to. Because it seems like... He's after something called the Meridian, or Meridian in general. Uh, I I can't remember if at this point we, we know if it's a planet or a system or, or a spaceship or whatever at this point. I I have only seen a picture of it up to the end of this episode's playtime, mm-hmm. but... At this, at this point we know it is like the central hub of all of these vaults that we have been looking for. If these are all, if, if the vaults are all the Wi-Fi routers, then this is the the internet itself. This is like the databases. This is where we got to go to affect change on a broader scale across Andromeda. Um, so we, <laughs> I'm just trying to like collect myself because I get so frustrated with this bullshit. What? Um, We're not even at the bullshit yet. We're not even to the bullshit yet. I'm just thinking about the bullshit. Um, but we we then find out that the reason the Moshi ever got captured in the first place was because Ephra, uh, who I always forget how he fits into the Angaran. Is he the? He's not the leader of the Resistance, is he? Or is, is he the leader? Yeah. Of res- he is the leader of the yeah, Resistance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get confused because they've got like 
a governor and then they've got a leader of the resistance and they've got a Moshi. Like there's just a lot going on here. And I just got done writing a review for Greedfall. So I had to remember a lot of other names and things and stuff like that. The Nodig and the NL Mill Frichtemann and We live for jargon here at Normandy FM. It's it's pushing cherished childhood memories out of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm forgetting the fourth grade every time I hear a new one. Um, it's okay. That wasn't that great of a year. Uh, so we 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 got to go find the Archon ship because the Moshi tells us that apparently the Archon was just kind of flaunting that he had this map to Meridian on the ship whenever the Moshi was there. And so she knows that it's there. We got to get it. So we got to do a little bit of a stealth mission. Uh and the only way we're going to figure that out is because uh, Ephra, who we we have now found out, gave the Moshi up. No, no, no. Uh, no. Ephra what, knows I, that somebody else gave the Moshi up. Ephra knows that somebody else gave the Moshi up. Okay. First, look, I don't, I don't trust Ephra, so I was like, mm, are you sure it was somebody else? Or are you, like, covering your ass right now? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, Ephra's pulled some sketchy stuff on us so far. Uh someone else gave them up and Ephra didn't want to reveal it because obviously that would be like a huge deal that would look really bad on the rebellion uh it's someone named and i'm looking through the notes for this name because it's ven Terev, which sounds like a star wars name that sounds like the name of a new character in the star wars rise of skywalker film uh he's a yeah the rise of skywalker yeah because for some reason star wars people not myself included because i don't include myself among them they don't want they don't want to let go of the skywalker stuff well technically there is still there's still one skywalker alive technically there is um well well, two actually no leia's still alive and uh uh ben slash uh kylo ren is is a skywalker whatever yeah technically a little bit more solo than skywalker but that's just my opinion Mm. yeah no they just don't want to let go of it i'm looking forward to them retconning ray's parents as being skywalkers because oh god i know right (laughs) anyway um anyways venturev is at kadara port which is where all the the exiles went to after they had their little spat with the initiative and it also kind of ended up as a um kind of a home for all the exiles in andromeda a lot of various peoples have have ended up here all the scavengers and criminals and smugglers and stuff like that it's uh it's, as a, you mentioned it's andromeda you know, omega yeah it's it's omega for andromeda uh and it's run by sloan kelly who is the former head of security for the andromeda initiative which we'll get to her she's great uh first we got some stuff we gotta talk about on the tempest uh, we do have a few things that we didn't get to, get to go over last time. Uh, a lot of people really just shaken by both the Archon and the discovery of the cat. I, I believe we talked about Jal a little bit, that Jal had a very like tender mm-hmm. moment, very sad moment. Um, we kind of go around, we talk to everybody. They're all kind of thinking about their loved ones or just you know suddenly realizing the stakes are a lot higher 
than right. previously anticipated. Uh, Drac even mentions the idea of nuking the Archon, which I found funny, considering the <laughs> Krogan's past of nuking each other into oblivion. Maybe was, that's just what they go to entire yeah, circumstances. I mean, he's not wrong if you want to I mean, sure. be sure. You know? um, just get his ship in like a stationary position and yeah, we'll make it happen. Stand really still. Uh yeah, and we also have some... So that was kind of some pre-Aya Tempest stuff. Uh, we also have some post-Aya Tempest stuff. We do have some stuff with Suvi. Uh, she's been licking rocks. Should not be doing that. That seems like a, a bad thing to do. Recommend you not do that. Um, she she has a little bit here. I, I don't know if you have it down further in your notes or not. Um, about the tea, but I think we can mm-hmm. just bring that yeah. up here. Yeah, we can bring that together. Um, yeah. Cause just because I feel like those two go very hand in hand, where it's this yeah. idea of Suvi's thinking about all the things that she left in the mm-hmm. Milky Way galaxy, and like the idea that it's already gone. And she talks mm-hmm. specifically about her tea, and you know, she brought this tea that she really enjoys, and it's her own special stash that she shares with Shepard here in this moment. And Ryder, you know, she, uh, Ryder, God, I'm gonna stop making that mistake once in my life. <laughs> uh, that she. <laughs> shares with Ryder uh in this little moment and uh it's it's kind of touching because she she mentions like once it's gone it's gone it's yeah. this idea of like the last whatever you'll do and it like right. it is permanent there's no way of going back and changing that uh theoretically even if you took some sort of miracle ride back to the Milky Way galaxy it would be another 600 years or whatever mm. And who knows what right. that place looks like twelve hundred years later? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I like I like this. I'm starting to come around yeah. a little bit on Suvi as a character, just because I feel like she's becoming less one note and a more interesting character as we get through each of the dialogues. I'm feeling yeah, that with a lot of the characters, honestly. Yeah, and that's something that honestly, like, I feel like Suvi and Gil are the more interesting of human companions that are in this game because, like, Cora, we have all our problems with because, like, I, I just played through Korra's loyalty mission, like, which is, you know, um, an episode away, but I feel like the issues that characters like Korra and Liam get into are, like, on such a granular scale, where I feel like Gil and Suvi end up being the characters that kind of, like, have the more human, you know, introspective stuff going on, where they're kind of dealing with the reality of being in a new galaxy and what that means, that mm-hmm. we don't really get from, like, the, the two, like, male and female leads this game. Yeah, all the Liam stuff has been interesting but in the context of other characters like we talked about the armor uh thing last episode which mm. uh, i just got to this episode uh it was interesting but it wasn't necessarily anything to do with liam as a character and cora's whole thing right. is just like just like a, a a sorry otaku you know like it's, it's like, like a thing <laughs> yeah um like when i came to that realization that that is what she was it's like it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, how did I not make this connection? Like, how did I not know that this is what I should call her? Like, they're like, she's normal. in a sorry weeb. They're, yeah, they're like normal. And you like go to their house and everything is like super Japanese and they have like the the samurai swords in the walls and folding paper yeah. things and stuff. And you're did just you, like, did you, hmm. <laughs> did you, um, I do you see like on Twitter sometimes like our relationship posts that come up and like people, oh god, it's yes. like the, the weird shit that happens in people's relationships. There was one that I saw, uh, I want to say, like, within the past week, that was a woman that she was, like, 
my boyfriend is trying to learn my native language, but now he's... Uh, oh my god, yes. Like, now he's telling me that like <laughs> my pronunciation is wrong, and he's critiquing my parents' food. And and at first, like she, the entire time, she was like vague as to like what, like where she, where she came from, and then somebody like asked in the comments, like, "Are you Japanese? Do you think that he could be fetishizing your culture?" And then she was like, "Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that." And I was like, "It's Kara." <laughs> I just, I love that because everyone's response to it was just like, don't read ahead, but I knew exactly how this was going to end before it got there. And as I was reading, I was like, oh no, oh no, it's going to be this, isn't it? Something about it, man. Um, Mm. Anyway. Something about nerdy dudes and, I don't know, Karens with Robin Wright hair. Um, Mm. (laughs) But yeah, we we get some interesting bits. So... Uh, on the romance front for me, I have not had too much development, uh, a little bit of flirting with uh, PB, a little bit of accidental flirting with Jal, because I had a thing pop up that was like a, it was like two human symbols yeah, 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 standing yeah. next to each other. So I did and that's that. Weird, like, that's the only thing that happened, like he's the only one that I know of that has that instead of the heart, and I don't know what that is, but it's a thing. Yeah, I did that, and it didn't seem like it moved a romance forward, it seemed like it just made us closer but right. maybe it's like a friendship thing. I don't know. I'd have to. I'll well, keep I know out to see if like point, Drac has it or anything like that. I don't know, but like I know at a certain point, Jaws, like the, the the heart starts showing up. So yeah, I've had I know, those too. I know because I know that option wasn't there. My first playthrough of Andromeda because they ended up patching in a romance for male writer and Jaws like a couple months in. I wonder if that's like a dialogue selection that says like i want to initiate like or i want to have the options start appearing mm. like that's how you turn them on or Maybe. something yeah yeah because yeah. i mean they were that was wasn't it like a big controversy at the time that the options were in there to begin with and they just weren't flipped on so then reason goes I that you would just have i don't know about that but I, option. I know there was a some point like for a long time it was supposed to be speculated that mm. uh Jaw and male writer were supposed to have been together, but we'll do some research on that. Look into that a little bit. Uh, see, I haven't had much on that front. I've I've been a little surprised. Vetra's stuff has been good. Like she has some really good responses when you flirt with her and stuff. Even mm-hmm. like PB is PB's PB, and she also is mm-hmm. weird because until you start progressing in her quest, you can just kind of be like flirting. And that's literally what the dialogue option says. It's like flirting, and your writer's just like, "I love flirting with you. Don't stop." And then PB gives one of like five canned responses, and then you move on. And I was like, "Okay," what? but huh. like Vetra's all kind of have involved dialogues where you slip like a sly line in there, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Okay," and stuff like that. Like yeah. it's, I like that one a lot more, but it is not progressed very far i have a feeling once i start doing loyalty missions it'll start progressing right. I, I did have we'll talk at the end of the episode about one thing i had with pb because i finally did her uh secret project thing that's yeah, on yeah. the nexus yeah. we could talk about that but uh how how have things been progressing with gil it is as i've said in the past episodes, it's incredibly horny just like yeah but so you know, he made he made you know comments about wanting to go play poker on the Nexus, and so like you do finally get this scene, and I don't know if you have you done it yet. Uh, yeah, I've done the poker scene okay. already. Gotcha. So this is where 
Gil's like actual story kind of starts to take shape because you know you do you do poker and like you can ask Sam to help you and cheat basically otherwise he you no know, fucking wrecks you which I let him do because um, this is not a threesome Sam cannot be involved in this relationship yeah but also like have some fun why I don't know like not not with Gil I cheat with I'll I'll, I'll cheat playing poker with people I don't know but Gil's part of the ship you don't take his money like that that's messed up yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like how he came to the same conclusion, but for very different reasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the interesting thing that happens here, and we'll touch on it again, like closer to the end of the episode, is he brings up this friend of his name, Jill, who was like they're the only like the two of them came to Andromeda, like they're like best friends in the Milky Way, and she is apparently part of like of repopulation efforts that are happening now that we're in Andromeda, and. Apparently, like, there are jokes made, like, where Jill says something like, oh, you're making my job harder because you're gay and you don't reproduce. And you have the option to be like, that sounds really disrespectful, but that, like, as a person that is gay and has existed amongst straight people all my life, knows that that is, like, a very, like, normal kind of, like, dynamic to have. Because, like, I mean, I call straight people fucking breeders all the time. Like, it's a, <laughs> you know, maybe by the point that it gets, maybe by the point that it got to, like, Mass Effect and Mass Effect's time it might have been like very outdated but right now that feels that feels like a very normal kind of dynamic to have two people that are like constantly giving each other shit um and so planting that oh god i can't believe i just fucking said planting that seed on that topic so it starts to bring up like what is eventually going to be gill's sort of self-realization and arc for the game which it's something that I really like, and we'll you know touch on it again like by the end of this episode. But I'll tell you, I'll like I'll just say now, like the conclusion of it is, depending on how you come at it, kind of fucked up. But right now, I'm into that. The idea of like repopulating, like with the Andromeda Initiative, is gonna like cause some sort of like doubts in him about maybe his like, like the kind of life that he's led. But we'll put a pen in that for a second. Here, here's something, and if I'm getting into stuff that the loyalty mission is going to start to address, uh, you know, let me know. But when I had, because I saw this dialogue as well, and I had a few afterwards where he was kind of talking about this sort of thing. Uh, my initial thought was, would they not have some sort of like, and I'm going to be just very frank with my language here. Uh, would they not have some sort of like fertility clinic built up or something like that to where they could still contribute to the repopulation mm-hmm. without necessarily having to do it themselves? <laughs> like, yeah, there, like there's even like a line where like you can just be like, well, you can you know donate for that too, and then but there's also like the other line is like, it's like, do you want to have a? We could just go ahead and skip this because this it's all neatly contained in the same thing. Because like, you can talk to him and be like, "Do you like want to have a kid of your own? Is that what you're mm-hmm. you're thinking?" And he's kind of like, "I've not really thought about it, at least in like a really tangible, like you know, sort of like abstract concept, sure, but like actual like making it happen is not something I've really considered." And then he talks about like how he, generally the way that he approaches everything, including like coming to Andromeda, is he just kind of does it in the moment, like he's very you know loose and free with whatever he feels in the moment to do. And that sort of, like, becomes his art is, like, he's kind of figuring out, like, I have been this very irresponsible person, and that I did, and I did make the choice to go 600 fucking years across to another galaxy. And so, like, I like the idea that 
that sort of like sparks growth in him in that way that he maybe like wants to take on responsibility and like be a person that is like willing to put down the roots of some something like the Andromeda mm. Galaxy. But then you run into the issue of like, are you having a kid just to force yourself to do that and things like that? So right, okay, which we will touch on. I'm interested. I'm interested now. I'm intrigued. But yeah, no, that was something I was thinking about because I was like, you know, it in the Mass Effect universe at this point seems pretty forward thinking. You think they would be like, okay, well, we're flying a bunch of people off to a new galaxy. We're probably going to have some people that aren't going to want to male female reproduce we could have those situations set up then where we have those fertility clinics like mm-hmm. they would have had back in the Milky Way. Uh, right. I'm, I'm surprised. Maybe that comes up in a future mission that we're going to embark on, but uh, I'm, I'm interested as to whether that was something the writers thought of because mm-hmm. that was like my first immediate question with this stuff. Right. Um, we get some other stuff, mostly just more crew interacting with each other is nice because we get to be reminded that they do interact they do hang out they do talk uh they do apparently get naked and trade armor with each other sometimes you know it's normal it be like that sometimes normal day <laughs> who among us has not so now we got to go land on kadara port and we're meeting a contact there uh shana i believe uh, Am I right? Is that is it Shayna or Shay? The code name? Yes. Sh- Let's just say his real name. It's fine. It's Reyes. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, we're meeting a contact named Reyes at a bar called Crawlasong. And between that bar and us are about 15 doors that take about three goddamn minutes to load every single time. And if you ever need to, you Two know... Doors. Ken, I'm being... A hyperbolic. I know. I'm, I'm just. I'm just clarifying for like the sanctity of the retrospective. And and the the pathway back to the tempest. Should you you know let's say accidentally need to run back and check an email real quick, you have to run back to the tempest to do that because apparently no one invented Gmail on their Omni tool yet, and that's a whole ass thing because then you gotta go back through all these doors that take forever to open, and it's like, can Kadara Port personifies what i don't like about mass effect andromeda it is what i don't like about mass effect andromeda because there are so many things not only just so many things to do that it just feels like sensory overload all at once and and it actually started with me on aya because it dumps you on aya after the the rescuing the moshi mission and immediately you have to run from one end of aya to the other and along the way are all these different like, hey Pathfinder, hey Pathfinder, hey Pathfinder, what's up? Hey, I got a quest marker over here. I got a thing over here. Hey, that dude just scanned you. You should check that out. And I'm like, I'm just trying to do a story mission. So, Let me go. But, but mm-hmm. with Aya, at least along the way, it was like, okay, I'm unlocking some fast travel points as I'm running. That's nice. Now I know in the future, whenever I do these quests, okay, mental checklist, this, 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 what's important, what's not. Oh, that says task. That's probably not important. Uh, but they're making it sound important because Sam's like, hey, that dude full scanned you. You should go check that out. That And Ryder's like, I should go check that out. <laughs> it's like, it, it wants you to be doing everything at once. And I talked earlier about how I don't, it doesn't feel like Andromeda understands 
like like how to stratify the information in a way so you can kind of see like what is critically important what is moderately important what is not important and what is just some open world bullshit uh, but the other flip side of that, and one that I really started to feel with Kadara Port, is I don't feel like Andromeda understands that with any video game, when you invest an amount of time into it, you want to reap some level of reward for the time you have invested. And I was thinking about this because we just came off of reviewing Greedfall. Both of us did. Uh, mm-hmm. My review is finished and in the can. It will probably be live by the time this podcast airs. Uh, yours is already live. Um, but my takeaway from that was I was really impressed with how deep all the side quests were, but also just how much they rewarded you for doing side quests, whether it was like bits of lore, learning more about the island, about different characters, about giving you a good story. Like, just they were just like, hey, this whole there was a whole plot line I didn't do until near the end of the game, and it turned out to be this huge revelation about something that happened way at the beginning when you first arrived at Tier 4D that now you're suddenly learning, holy crap, this is what happened there. Oh my god. And totally missable. Totally skippable. But it's there if you go to it and it rewards you for doing that. And it also understands that it's not going to spend multiple missions dragging that out. You're going to do one mission. It's going to get you through that. With Andromeda... Like, Vold was a very good example of this, where it was like, there's this huge thing about the Angaran AI that's hidden under all these other missions that you have to keep going through, and it never does a good job of making you feel like you've just done something. Like, the difference between Greedfall's quest and Andromeda's quest is that when I finished a quest in Greedfall, I felt very fulfilled. I felt encouraged to want to do more. With Andromeda, it feels like I'm just checking things off lists, and the list isn't getting any smaller. <laughs> and the and, and that's that's all fine. I understand that this is very much like an open world Far Cry ass game. Like they yeah, they, well, went, was... they went for this, and I understand that. And we do have to also address like narrative purpose wise. Once we get through this episode, we've only really got one more episode of like big story stuff left to go. We're kind of near the end of the story already. It's not a very long story. And the intention seems to be that they wanted you to spend a lot of time doing all this settling stuff where you're going to these different areas, you're going and you're setting up these outposts, setting up these habitats, and that's where you're getting a lot of your, you know, fulfillment from. But the way it's structured, it just feels scattered and it doesn't feel like it wants to reward me for what I'm doing. It feels like it just wants to keep me occupied. Like, it's it's like it's kind of dangling keys in front of me going, like, keep doing stuff. Keys is Mass Effect Andromeda. Do Mass Effect stuff. Go over here. Do Pathfinder stuff. Go over there. Do Pathfinder stuff. You're doing Pathfinder stuff. It's all great. There's all these systems, all these bars. But when I finish a side quest in this game, I'm just kind of like, cool. Finish the side quest. That's... Didn't really get much out of that. Like, maybe I get one talking head or, or like, a thing from Ryder where I'm like, well, it's a good thing we fixed that for the initiative, and then moving on. And I'm just like, it doesn't feel rewarding at all. And and so, Ken, this, that was one half. <laughs> Take all that and now add in Kadara Port, which is just an infuriating level of having to go do a thing, then run back to the Tempest. 
go do a thing, run back to the Tempest, go do a thing, jump back up off the planet, watch that cutscene again where you have to go back up to the Tempest. So now I know when I get to a planet, because I've done this now a few times, where I will try to say the Turian Arc mission that we're going to talk about later in this episode. I literally landed on a planet, drove to the thing, scanned a thing, went back to the Tempest so I could check off the next box. And so now I'm going like, okay, so when I land on a planet... I basically have to like triage all the things I want to do on this planet so I'm spending the least amount of time in load screens and and transitions and stuff like that. And that just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like my time is being valued. And that's maybe my biggest frustration with Mass Effect Andromeda is I feel like I'm spending a lot of time not doing anything in this game. So my main okay, well so like I don't I don't disagree with you that the structure of the game is very obtuse and bloated, but also to me that is every fucking open world game in the world. So oh, I'm not like, ex- I'm not making excuses at all. Well, this is it's it's every open world game and like Far Cry does like, the same thing, Assassin's Creed does yeah. the same thing, but the difference even there with Assassin's Creed is I feel like it understands it's bloated and it either gives you a good way of identifying what is kind of a side mission and what is time sensitive and what's not. And it also doesn't, it either doesn't make you do a lot of things to have to travel around a lot, or it makes it very simple for you to get updates or continue quests without having to go through a bunch of loading screens. Cause I, I remember in Odyssey, I would fast travel a lot, but I would rarely be spending a lot of time in cutscenes and load screens, whereas Andromeda has so many transitions and landing on the planet and taking off from the planet and jumping in the nomad and extracting back and then landing down and there's just a lot in this game. To touch on like sort of the way the game differentiates between like what is most important and what is not. I felt I personally have never really felt like there was like a clarity issue on that front because like I mean everything that's everything that's not worth your time is a task and otherwise it is there's a know, there's a lot of shit that is not tasks in this game that I've just been well yeah but right like by. like generally if something is meaningful and is like gonna at least have like a you know a small like side story payoff it is in one of the other tiers of like what you know not necessarily not not, like, not main missions but like the allies and relationships and then they're like the Oh shoot! I don't remember what like the third. Well, I just got one is. on the Nexus because I talked to Vetra's sister Sid, and she was like, "Hey, there's some stuff going on out there. There's some raiders. You know, maybe you should go take care of that." But then it pops the mission up, and it's like, "Oh, go do this like multiple tiered checklist of things." And I, I look at it, and I'm like, "This looks like the same thing that they give you for all the outpost worlds and stuff like that. Only it's just mm. checking stuff off for the Nexus." And I was just immediately like, "Cool." I don't know if this right. is important or not. It's not a task, but it it does. It was given to me by a main character's like sister, so maybe it is important. And but it also sounded like it was just a hey, Ryder, go do this thing because it's a thing you can do. And, and like, think, like like I'm saying, there wasn't like a big push. To, they were just kind of like, hey, there's some bandits out there. I heard him talking on the radio. We should investigate that. And I kind of wish there was a little bit more of like this is a very good reason why you should go do this stuff versus like, hey, this is out there if you want to go do it, you know? And I think that, like, for me, it's, like, the the way I always, like, cut through the noise of Mass Effect and Drama is I know, because, like, 
yes, the open world stuff is there, but like, if you want to look at the game like structurally, like from like both like a narrative like to side narrative like tiers of narrative, I guess it's pretty much identical to like an, any other Mass Effect game. Like in terms of like the stuff that it prioritizes most in terms of like you know the loyalty missions and the various squad crew interactions. Mm-hmm. That's all, and like, and in, to, as as much as I've absolutely fucking tried, I've tried to structure the season the same way. Like, where if you're like if you're playing along with us, like you're not if you follow what we are saying that we're gonna do, you're gonna see like the actual like the game is gonna take us where we need to go, and we don't really need to worry about every little fucking task or thing that pops up as we're walking through Aya or the Nexus and. So, like, again, like, I get the frustration of there's too much in this game, but I also, like, using my past experience of Mass Effect and other Bioware games, I know, or at least I try to, like, know what it is that I actually need to bother doing to get the most that I can get out of this game. It's it's more the feeling that, like I said earlier, it's not just that there's a lot of stuff, but it, I don't feel like the game is respecting like the amount of time that's asking of me to do this and rewarding me for it and part of that is i'll sit down for my playstation every time and when i think about like mass effect 2 and i'd sit down to play mass effect 2 and granted like you did mention those games i'd played before so i had a very solid idea of what i was going to do when i went through them um andromeda i have not played so i'm i'm being overwhelmed with all this stuff i've never seen before i have no idea how to parse it i'm still trying to figure out like (laughs) I'm still grappling with, like, the resource system and stuff, because I'm hitting a point where I'm like, my guns just aren't doing damage. They need to do more Hmm. damage, because it's taking me, like, eons to kill some enemies, and that's not great. Uh, So I need to start finding ways to do more damage beyond my biotic abilities, because biotics are good, but if you're up against shields, especially, like, that's they don't do shit, so... um, I, I've been trying to grapple with that, and there's just so much. There's just so much. <laughs> oh my god, that's true. Um, and and that kind of frustrates me too. Is that like there's this whole arm of the game I'm basically ignoring? And, and granted, like I did the same thing with Greedfall. I barely touched the equipment in that game because every once in a while I'd get like a high level equipment drop, and I'd be like, okay, that's going on my main character, or I'd get like a high-level ring, and I'd be like, I'm putting that on Petrus. Good job, Petrus. You get a new ring. And like, that was that, and I never really got into the crafting or anything of that game, mm-hmm. because it never felt necessary. And even yeah. here, it and that's just... I don't know if it feels necessary. It does feel like it's making my life a little bit easier that I have an, Aven- an Avenger 3 instead of an Avenger 1. Like, it's just a little mm-hmm. bit easier to deal with the massive swarms of enemies that the game is starting to throw at me. But, I, I I don't know. It's This this game is not clicking for me yet. I've not... I And I'm getting to the point where I'm wondering if it ever will. I think maybe that's the biggest frustration is I'm going like, I'm near the end of this game, and I'm still not at the part where... I, I go like, oh, this is genuinely a good thing. I, like, genuinely enjoy this. It's always, like, I a think... caveat... I mean, like, as a person that does, like, actually enjoy this game, and like I said, like, the very first episode of the season, like, yeah, there's, like, asterisks next to the sentence, I like Mass Effect Andromeda, but I think if you can, like, as much as the game would like you to not, I think if you can just play it like a Mass Effect game, as you know it, mm-hmm. it becomes, like, this, this, it's, there's a lot less 
weight to it in terms of like what's on your shoulders if you're trying to just do mm. literally fucking anything. Because yeah, like there is the open world bloat and which we've talked about, but the core Mass Effect experience is still there. You just have to have to shove some things out of the way to get to it sometimes. I will tell you it's making me dread the idea of playing Dragon Age Inquisition again. All of a sudden, I'm just like Oh god, like do I have rose tinted glasses about what Inquisition was, but it's actually like way bigger and more involved than I remember. Ugh. It's a I mean I cuz I recently replayed that as well, or at least like about a year ago. Um I don't think it's as bloated as Andromeda, but I feel like getting around is a lot more of a pain in the ass in like those open worlds when all you've got is fucking on foot. And we should, like, we should add an addendum to this because, like, our real-life work now at this point, it's review season for us. And Mm. as games industry people, even if we're not on the hook for reviewing those for whatever work we're doing, this is still a time of the year where we're wanting to keep up with all the big releases. Um, I know that tomorrow, well, technically tonight, but tomorrow is when the new Uchikoshi game comes out. Um, Those who do not know, that is the creator of the Zero Escape series. Uh, a series very near and dear to my heart and I'm really looking forward to what his new game will be uh, what it's going to be like and then Link's Awakening is out at the end of this week and there's Gears game that's been sitting on my Xbox I haven't even touched yet and 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 (laughs) (laughs) it, it just keeps going and so when you play a game like Andromeda maybe that's why I'm feeling it is because I'm in I'm at a point in my life Right now, I'm at it like a time of the year where I can feel every hour that I'm spending awake and doing something, and I mm. I am losing patience for games that don't have that that aren't trying to move along at a at a decent pace. I want more short games, Ken. Like that's fair. And, and the weird I say that as somebody who is currently also replaying Fire Emblem Three Houses, a game that is. <laughs> A, a a time suck but the thing i like about that is that's a game that i can pick up and play and put back down mm. very easily uh you know it's a turn-based strategy game it's got a lot of systems in there kind of like persona almost where you know if you were playing persona and you're in the middle of the week or whatever you can just kind of put the game on pause go do whatever come back and you're going to remember whatever it is that you were up to whereas Andromeda, maybe it's just because I'm not as familiar with the game and the systems, but it feels like I need to invest a little bit more when I play this game. I need to spend more time paying attention to it. And also, the t- can we talk about the text? The text is so goddamn small, Ken. It's so goddamn yeah, small. Like, I, I remember when Mass Effect 2 like, first came out, I remember Bioware even had to like release like a press release that said, like, oh, we're gonna patch the text. Or like, or or that they weren't going to patch the text, but they were going to keep it in mind for future games. And then, you know, I mean, that was that was a long time ago, so maybe they forgot. The intro with the text is oh, maybe some how, of the smallest text I've seen since, like, The Witcher 3. Like, it's... How far away is your TV from where you sit? Uh, here, I'm going to turn around because I'm, you know, my apartment is just kind of like the main area is just one living room with kind of an open kitchen walk-in and stuff, so... I'm sitting at one end of the living room where my computer and stuff is. On the other end is my... I'm, I'm looking... I mean, I think if I laid down, I would reach almost all the way to my TV. So that's probably maybe like 8 to 10 feet distance, something like that. Mm. 
Um, yeah, that I don't do know. It. I've never really, li- I never, because you know, you'd measure it just by lying down in front of it. I'm, I'm a solid six one, so it's. I bet you, if I lay down and rush and stretch my arms out, I wouldn't be able to hit it though. So it's probably like ten feet. Uh, mm, okay. It's it's far enough away that like. Anytime a game has reading in it, and, and granted, I don't have good eyesight either. I have, I'm minus 2.75 in both my eyes. And if you think that's weird that I know that, then you're clearly not a person who uses <laughs> contacts. Because if you use contacts, you know that number. So uh, so I'm like a little bit nearsighted. I'm not a lot nearsighted, but I am a little bit nearsighted. And enough that I do need glasses. Uh, and... I still have moments where I'm looking at the screen and I'm like, boy, what the fuck does that say? Yeah, I do uh, a lot of... Like, when I'm, when I'm playing in my bedroom, it's not like I'm, like, two feet away from the TV. But, like, if I play in the living room, that's when I, like, I'm standing up off the couch and, like, uh-huh. to read shit. Like you're at a fucking like... show floor demo and you're standing there <laughs> playing the game. Uh you know what would solve this ken would be if these games were on the nintendo switch and we could put that shit right in our faces yeah imagine that imagine a world where mass effect is just naturally put on the nintendo switch like everybody else maybe if it was just the the shepherd collection on on the switch you know maybe we because that's what i'm worried about this has been a year of monkey's paw wishes where it's like a good thing happens but then it's not the thing that you wanted like super monkey ball is coming to the switch it's the bad one. <laughs> like, uh, what was it today? The first three Dragon Quests are coming to the Switch. It's the mobile version with all the weird-looking cartoon art instead of the sprite pixel mm-hmm. art. Like, it's just a year of monkey's paw wishes where you are like, you get the thing you want, but it is cursed. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> speaking of things that are cursed, Kadara's port. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, we should get back to well, like the yeah. forty-one minutes in. So we we talked to Reyes, and and this is another thing that bothers me is like we talked we to Reyes, talked to Reyes, yeah, and and Reyes is like, yeah. you you talk to Reyes. By the way, one of my favorite characters so far in Mass Effect Andromeda is the Asari bartender in Crawl Song. <laughs> big fan. She she is very good. Yeah. Big fan of her. Can we recruit her? And then also someone we should recruit because apparently we only went to Reyes just to get the okay to go see Sloan Kelly. Uh, that was about it. It was kind of like it, it's a perfunctory chat that just feels like it was there so they could have this scene between Reyes and Ryder because I have a gut feeling that Reyes is never going to pop up in the main quest again, but probably does pop up in some side stuff. And so they needed something to like establish him here as a quest person. Am I on the money? Close enough. Okay. <laughs> um, we go talk to Sloan Kelly, who I would also like to recruit onto team Ryder because Sloan you Kelly, Kelly oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah Ken I just yes <laughs> it's <laughs> I walked in and she was just like I was like hi I'm Ryder and Sloan was basically like everyone knows who you are you don't have to tell me and I was like hello <laughs> like what's up <laughs> um yeah hmm. and then yeah so we had for me it was a little bit of a posturing but i was like and she was basically like i want to kill this dude 
And I was like, I got no problem with that. I just need the information. You can kill him. Yeah. Uh, that was exactly what I did too. You want to kill like... me? <laughs> let's, let's not take anything <laughs> off the table here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you have it in your notes that Ryder's ho side came out when you're talking to Reyes. Mine came out when I was mm-hmm. talking to Sloan Kelly. <laughs> um, so we, we kind of make a deal with her here, and I like... I like Sloan as a character. You list her as like a pseudo antagonist, but honestly, mm-hmm. like if anything, the one thing I like to do extracurricularly in this playthrough is to see how the stuff in this port evolves. Because while we're here, we also get some talk about the charlatan who is kind of mm-hmm. this other figure that is supposed to be very powerful within Kadara port. Right. I get the sense that we're going to have to, I mean, they even say it as we're going to go pick something up later on. Uh, that we're going to have to like make a choice at some point between the charlatan and Sloan Kelly, like who we want backing us, who's going to back up the initiative's presence mm-hmm. on on Port Kadara, yeah. because this is also uh, this is a habitat planet, like this is a place where we can establish right. an outpost, and to do that, we're we're probably going to have to make good with one of the factions that is on this this planet. Uh, so I like the idea of like rebuilding the bridge with Sloane and maybe mm-hmm. like trying to repair some of the damage that was done. Something that I'm going to ruin later on in this episode, but don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I like the, and I like the segment with Venturev as well. Um, I thought they did a surprisingly good job of portraying a character who believed that they were doing right, but mm-hmm. now knows in retrospect that they did wrong but is willing to like accept right. the consequences of it. Like I, th- I thought it was going to just be this whole section where, you know, he came out with some startling realization, like, Oh, the Moshe is not who you think she is. And I was like, Oh, right. whatever. But no, he was basically like, yeah, I thought if we gave her over, they would just stop coming after us and they didn't, I fucked up and I'm going to pay the consequences now. And so I, <laughs> I let him die. <laughs> it's... Yeah. I mean, I same. I was but like, I was, Coming from like my perspective, like as a writer that is, you know, if it was ever measured in that way, a very paragon person, like there was like a lot of like resentment towards this dude already. Like you know, we're not, we don't know the Ingara that well yet, but it's just like the principle of like this person that is like this shining figure of your people, who has you know been great to us and is like helping us like build this bridge between the initiative and the Ingara. So like when he even asks like, don't you want to know why I did? And I'm just like, no, not really. Oh, uh, see, I did because I was just curious. My, like, I was, you know, maybe there is something, but then he just kind of like fesses up and is like, "Nah, I, I was just stupid. I got tricked." Uh, yeah, it's. I thought that was an interesting angle to take that story, and then we go pick up his transponder, which is busted, but we can make work. And as we're driving there, you know, we run into a bunch of. I ran over a couple pirates and stuff on my way there because Always. when they're standing in the road like that you can't just do that when i'm rolling through on the nomad i i <laughs> veer out of my way <laughs> what do they tell you in texas to do when you see roadkill on the road uh i mean well wh- what animal are we talking about here a uh, raccoon a raccoon i mean that's probably fine mm-hmm. to run over yeah well, i mean that's, you that's drive in georgia like you don't you drive over the center in georgia they're like can, but well, yeah, in Georgia, they're like, don't swerve out of the road to not hit, hit roadkill. Yeah. And so, I mean, if they're they're going to be roadkill, like, in, like, 0.2 seconds, like, I'm just getting ahead of the curb. Yeah, look, something that I realized when I was out at PAX West, you know, talking with some folks who were 
grew up in the city and such. Them, them city slicking folks. <laughs> uh, first of all, Ken, I want to ask you this question because I, this became the question that I asked many people. Uh, have you ever fought an animal before? No. Okay. Because I have. I am. What animal? <laughs> a snake. I've killed a what few. What the fuck? I've killed a few snakes. Look. I, so I used to work at the summer camp, and sometimes okay. a snake would, like, get into the camp, and, you know, sometimes you can kind of catch and release it, and then sometimes that thing's going for a cabin, and gotta kill a snake, and that's just how it goes. Uh, I, I've never fought anything, right. I've never fought a mammal. I would not like to fight a mammal. Okay. I don't think I'd hold up well in a fight against a mammal, but... Okay. Uh, Sometimes you were just out in the wilderness and shit goes down and it turns into a situation where it is going to try and attack you. So you, uh, you got to defend yourself. Uh, hmm. are you much of a camper or anything? Did you ever camp much? No, I don't, I don't go outside. Okay. I, no. See. Th- this tan, this tan is from Disney World. See, I was, I was bonding with friend of the show, Ginny Wu, because... For for those who don't know, she is from Australia, if you could not tell from the episode that she was on Normandy FM. And uh, we were bonding over the many uh, aggressive animal experiences we have had in our lives so far. Because if there's anywhere that is the Texas of not Texas, <laughs> it is Australia. <laughs> you guys live in a completely fucking different world than me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, there, no, Australia sounds much worse because they have flying spider balls, apparently. Jesus, uh, what the fuck? So the spiders, like, get together and make a giant web ball that is, like, aerodynamic. And it just fuck. sails through the air, catching bugs. And that sounds horrifying to me because, like, I've dealt with tumbleweeds. Like, that's a normal-ass thing when I was living in West Texas. Yeah, there were, like cartoon-ass tumbleweeds that would go across the the road and stuff like that that's a real thing uh god but you know i've dealt with like scorpions and shit like that that's that's freaky bugs okay i've probably dealt with some bugs over my oh dude when i was living when i was living in atlanta that was where i saw the biggest uh it must have been a roach it was like it was big it's a big fucking bug and like (laughs) it has a christening around here yeah, no, I mean, it was probably larger than at least my thumb, if not bigger, and it was just, like, <laughs> hanging out on the wall when I walked in after work one day, and I was like, oh, hey, that's a big-ass bug, and then my Airbnb host came back, because I was living in, like, an Airbnb, I was renting a room, uh, and I was in the kitchen with, like, a face mask on and a broom trying to hit this giant-ass bug, <laughs> and he was like he was like what's going on i'm like trying to kill this bug and he picks up a shoe he's like let's do it <laughs> i was a good guy i liked him <laughs> i like we got along very well <laughs> um oh <wait>. anyways <laughs> so we get back to the tempest uh a team meeting has been called drac called the team meeting uh and this is kind of where we get some open world bullshit again because even though we've just been given a thing to progress in the main story, Andromeda's like, wait, hold on. We got two other habitat worlds that we can go check out now. We should go check them out at some point. It's kind of framed in the sense of, like, uh, I, I forget what the reason is for HO74C. I think that's the acronym? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, that was uh, supposed to be the Turian homeworld. Right. And so they're like, oh, we should probably go check that out and make sure that's doing all right. Uh, and Drac brings up uh, El- Eladin. 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 Yeah, it's the, the double A's weird me out every time. I keep wanting to call it like Aladdin and stuff like that. Space uh, names. Yeah. So Eladin, which sounds like Illidan, which is the name of a character from Warcraft, <laughs> uh is kind of where the Krogan set up shop after they left the initiative, after they were kicked out by by mean, mean people who are just assholes. I forgot what the name of that dude was. Shout out to Tan. Was it, well, I mean Tan, but who is the person that we're supposed to be looking for for the loyalty mission? Oh, Thinner. Yeah. Um, so we will make an excursion to both of those in this episode, but for a very brief mo- I mean technically we won't even go to h74c it will just be in the area but uh that kind of presents us with a thing where it's like hey you know just fyi there's more habitat worlds that you can be doing out here uh those side stories yeah uh joel which we will get to like seven episodes from now yeah god right uh joel is making some presents for the tempest crew it's it's perfect god i love joel what he's, a he's good the best. cinnamon roll he's he talks about making a poncho for Liam. Yeah, and a knife. And a dagger for Drac. He asked if we want one. That was good. But yeah, he's got imposter syndrome. And I was like, oh, Joel, same. Like, if, we did, <laughs> if we didn't like you, we would have kicked you off weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, the story won't let us get rid of Korra. But I don't know. Once we find the Asari arc, you know, she can start packing her bags. I mean, she can go hang out with her real friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> uh <laughs> And so we also get a fun scene here with Gil where he turns the transponder on and actually turns it on. <laughs> we talked to a cat for a, like we talked for a minute. I I think it was last episode or maybe the one before that there was like some MCU level humor yeah, in this yeah. game. And this was definitely like one of those moments where yeah. it was just very funny and and a good way of like having a little bit of fun with an otherwise heavy thing but we use the transponder yeah. to locate where the archon ship is which it turns out is tethered to the solarian arc so yep that's a whole situation <laughs> so we check in with the moshe so i'm gonna oh yeah you jump in well i was gonna say like we're gonna cover two of them in the thing but i gotta say like the arc missions are like some of my favorites in this game okay okay yeah yeah okay yeah. We'll see about that. <laughs> uh, no, I'm being I'm being cruel. Uh, I don't know about this mission, but the one after it, I did really enjoy. Um, we'll talk about this mission. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about the mission. Yeah, so the Moshai uh, gives a, lets us know that the the relic is in the Archon's private chamber, uh, and so we basically decide that we're going to get in through the Ark. Uh, check out what's going on see if we can find out like you know where our pathfinder for that is supposed to be like what happened with the solarian arc and then once we've assessed the situation we can use the tethers to get across um callow has a little bit of a moment because callow obviously has been the one who has been you know asking us to keep an eye out for the solarian arc and basically tells us like if there's anything you can do to save my people please like do it um and i love callow callow's awesome I want to I want to mm-hmm. do everything I can for Callow. Um, so we set out on the arc, and 
this is kind of a cool segment that gets mirrored again later, but I like this feeling of going through the arc again because mm-hmm. it is very similar to when you first start the game. So there's that right. cool element of like, oh, I'm kind of retracing my steps a little bit. Um, and we and then like the like the, then like the videos they have like Solarians on them instead, and yeah, like the like the Captain Solarian arc is the one that's like giving you that greeting when you wake up mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, so i like the way that it's you know just a little bit different yeah and but then we get a little bit of a message that's like a warning basically saying like stay away there are aliens who have taken over the ship like things are bad uh we we find out that we we found a couple different stasis pods and we found one that says that it should contain the pathfinder but the solarian inside is dead however when mm-hmm. we scan it we realize that I believe the Solarian inside is male. We're looking for a female Pathfinder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so Vetra has a funny little line where she's like, leave it to the Solarians to come up with a plan exactly, like this. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we realize that they did, they did a switch, uh, which I, I think a, like tells us a little bit about the Solarians, like how, or really how much the Pathfinder means to mm-hmm. the colonists that one of them is willing to sacrifice themselves to save the Pathfinder. Yeah. Uh, we get in there and we find Reka, who uh, feels bad about how things have been going down and basically wants to help you get everything going. The plan is we're going to find the captain and get everything set up so that way once we've got the map, we can get the arc out of there too. We don't really have a plan for how we're going to untether it quite yet or really disable anything on the cat side of the ship to do so, but we're basically flying by the seat of our pants but i did like having another pathfinder like it felt mm-hmm. kind of cool to have oh i've got this other pathfinder is going to help us out this is yeah. cool like we're part of the secret club that nobody else is part of yeah um even though they don't i think at this point their sam implant is completely disabled or i i didn't get much of a sense whether it was like disabled or whether it was like fully destroyed in order to hide them from the ket and the stasis pods I want to say like their Sam wasn't linked to it at that point because we do like, they, we do link them... them back in at some point. But, yeah, uh, and like she says, like uh, feels good to have a Sam back in my head. Yeah, uh, it, it, granted that's our Sam. I don't I don't know if later on we ever get confirmation of whether the Solarian Arc Sam node gets running again. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, but <sighs> we. <laughs> We start working our way uh, into the catch ship. I was kind of bummed we didn't get to do the thing where we like go down the tether, kind of like in Mass Effect Three, where you do the spacewalk. I was hoping that you yeah, have yeah. that moment, but we just kind of show up on the cat side of the ship, and it's a sneaking mission for all of about two seconds until everyone on the ship suddenly realizes we're there, uh, and it just kind of turns into a firefight throughout the ship. <laughs> but also the the cat ship, we realize as we're fighting our way through the ship, it has its weapons pointed at the Solarian Arc. So now we know mm-hmm. that if we try to take off, those weapons are going to blast the Arc apart. Can't have that happen. So uh, we're figuring out a way to take care of this. And then one of the Solarians, I think it was the captain, actually mentions that they could rig up an EMP that would disable yeah. the, the weapons locally so that way they would not fire on us as we're escaping. Um, and as we keep going further and further, 
uh we, there is a fun part i like that you mentioned it too because it's one of my favorite parts that you modulate your own voice to sound like a cat yeah <laughs> but you try to say something in fake cat and it's like access denied but you say something in english and they let you yeah. in and riders just kind of <laughs> like okay then <laughs> um like fun goofy stuff uh, but we're also finding yeah. a lot of dead Solarians on gurneys and mm-hmm. pads and things like that. Uh, we're getting kind of a sense that some some fuckery is afoot here. And mm. then we walk into a room and uh, we get captured because we're great at our jobs. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and we get our first face-to-face meeting with Archon. So, Ken, let me... <laughs> How do you feel about we get this big face to face with the Archon, he gives us his whole speech, you know, I'm the villain speech, injects you with something and talks about how he's gonna take a long time examining you, so save your strength and stuff like that. And I still just don't care about the Archon. <laughs> I'm still like this think... dude is the most comic book ass villain. Well, that's fair. I I mean I don't think he really outgrows that, but here, at least, like, there was, like, a sense of, like, this is very personal to him, that he's, that there is somebody that has been able to very easily do the thing that he's been trying for, I, I guess, like, 80 years at this point, to, just, like, you know, access the remnant tech. So I do like that, you know, like, our very existence challenges that sort of notion that he has, or, like, that even, like, the cat as, like, a species have of this very, like almost godlike figure like to have somebody that like you know this fucking fucking dude that's got this AI in their head that can just immediately access things that it has taken them this long to like even find a solution for so I like that aspect that like there is that sort of like uh, I've been working on this for 80 years and he just tweeted it out (laughs) just tweeted it out Oh man, uh, yeah. I, the injection thing was kind of interesting. I really like this one scene where after he leaves, he realizes the only way to get out of the field is he'll stop working if it senses that what it's holding is dead. So Sam mm-hmm. basically kills you and then brings you back to life. And it's a good little scene because I I had Petra or Petra, um, Vetra and PB with me mm-hmm. on this mission. You know, my my two my two maybe ah. babies. and both of both of them kind of have although pb a little bit more i was surprised i don't know if that's maybe i've done more flirt interactions with her or whatever but she did basically have a moment where she was like rider maybe like reconsider this like don't you know don't risk this uh i don't know what kind of responses you had because i don't think we talked about who you brought on this mission but i i had vitra and i had jaw jaw who i had flirted with to an extent but i don't think that because his response wasn't like he, he was more like one of the sort of like deadpan mcu or something it was like mm. i like it was something along the lines of like you know oh i won't i won't forget you or something like that and oh Vetra i was mean just like writer you're crazy yeah okay pb kind of had a line like that too where like she was like, "If you, if you don't come back, I won't forget you, or something like that." Or, but it wasn't delivered like deadpan. It was delivered like a little bit heartfelt. So I was like, "Okay, yeah." Um, and there's actually, I'll I'll mention this now because it's not like a large dialogue or anything. After this, uh, 
section when I went and talked to PB, she mentioned that she was like, I thought I was the death defying one. And you can have yeah. kind of a fun response where you're like, well, no, I just had to outdo you. And she was yeah, like, like, you win competition now. Jackass. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I like that. It's, it's fun dialogue. Like if that's one thing I will say that I really like about Andromeda is that the dialogue is just a lot more snappy and fun and lively. Uh, yeah. So we, the, uh, there was, well, let's say like when you go talk to like Gil after that, he's like, um, hope you spat on him on the way out or something like that and he's like well I mean we got like face to face so I probably didn't he's like that goes both ways my dude <laughs> uh, so we take a look around the lab and we we get a little bit of a thing here where it's looking at uh, we now know that they have like dossiers of all the species that have come mm-hmm. from the Milky Way they've got the Turian the Asari the which I'm wondering where exactly they got their sorry information yet, because I think that's kind of an ominous, like foreboding thing, because obviously at this point we have not found the Asari arc, but the fact that they have some level of files mm-hmm. on the Asari leads you to suspect that maybe they have found the other arcs and are doing experiments already. Um, yeah. It is, it is kind of freaky. And, you know, you do kind of realize yeah. that like and we get a cutscene later that pretty much verifies this but the idea of the cat is that they want to exalt everything it's not even just the angara they want to exalt everything uh yeah <laughs> and like they even make comparisons of like how the asari like reproduce as well like there's like it, it's a weird you know gives me the mm-hmm. heebie-jeebies because like they talk about like how oh, the Asari take the traits of different species when they reproduce. And it's like, that's like what we do. And I was like, no, it's not. It's not the same. Yeah, it's very different. And uh, as we're walking into the Archon's chambers, we even find that he has some Krogan in stasis, likely Drax Mm. scouts. And we get a little bit of... I had a lot of dialogue at this point where Vetra was saying it's a good thing Drax's not here because Drax would be like very upset about what's happening. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And so we, we keep going... And we get into a room where there's just these remnant relics everywhere, and we got to pick one out. Obviously, it's the big shiny one in the back of the room, but I'm very familiar with which one it was because I had to repeat this combat section several times over. <laughs> um, Did you like losing? Yeah, no, I, I got messed up mm. a few times by by what is the behemoth, a new enemy that is an exalted Krogan. So after we have a quick exchange with. Uh, the Archon, who appears in hologram form, very elusive man style, after we check out the Meridian map, uh, we start fighting a an exalted Krogan, who, oddly enough, I felt like it was a surprisingly un-Krogan fighting style, because they did do kind of this charge and explosion thing a few times, uh, but mostly... They shot what was basically like uh, the Archons, not the Archon, uh, the thing that we were trying to remember last week and could not remember the Prefect? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the Prefect Orb. It has like a Prefect Orb that it shoots. uh, That's like a DOT in the area that lands. And boy, boy, it takes takes a lot of bullets to kill this thing, Ken. Like, yeah, a lot of bullets. Uh, very tanky. Even yeah. though I had incendiary... I used up, like, four charges of incendiary ammo. And I'm pretty sure it heals, too. <laughs> like, because I'm it. pretty sure I saw that health bar go back up a few times. And, like... Mm. It, it, it was a war of attrition, basically. Because at the same time, it, once it would get down low enough in health, there would be some more... Uh, 
enemies that would flood some more cat that would flood the area and you kind of have to take them out and then fight the behemoth a little bit and mm. i it was not during this section but during a later section that we're going to get to where i was starting to get frustrated with the, the cover system because there would be times where i would just kind of be awkwardly clinging to cover when i didn't want to or mm. i'd be behind cover that seemed like i should be in cover but i was still getting hit things like that and it's just yeah the the design of the cover in this section specifically got really frustrating to deal with over time because it just never felt right. like it lined up well uh or, or right. like there was any particular way for me to deal with uh or, or to maneuver around and cover comfortably uh i i mean i did eventually take him down i was like cool but uh I was not I was not blown away by this boss enemy, and I'm, I'm now immediately fearing having to fight more of them, because, ugh. Um, Did you make a choice? That so might yeah, well, so let's let's keep moving along here. So first, uh, you know, we set off the EMP, so the the weapons go down, and uh, we get moving through an area, and we get kind of a Vermeer situation where uh, we only have time to take care of one thing, and we know that there are some Krogan, uh, likely the rest of Drax missing scouts they're being held in an area awaiting exaltation and then another area reka is pinned down and basically sends us like her goodbye she's saying like i'm going to try to help my people i'm probably going to die doing so but i can't just leave them uh thank you for waking me up i'm going to go do this uh ken yeah a pathfinder is a pathfinder right now we've only got one and as good as rider is as a pathfinder i feel like having the more pathfinders that we have to expand this our presence in the andromeda galaxy i i definitely did a weighing the cost of how many people am i saving versus and also like who am i saving and i'm sure those scouts are excellent but i need another pathfinder this is there's no easy option here. There is no easy option. Mm. It's the same as Vermeer. There is no good option. There's just the option that you choose. And for me, it was that I valued having another Pathfinder in the Andromeda mm. Galaxy. So I went to go save yeah. Rika. So I went to go save the Krogan, and it's like it's one of those things. Like as it happens, like there is like a tangible feeling of like regret because like if I wanted to numbers game, like there are like three scouts here, mm-hmm. and but, like, my, my mind immediately goes, like, what if one of those things gets, like, dropped on Eos? And, like, the cat just wipe that entire place out because they've got this, like, I mean, yeah. we are a yeah. squad of very highly trained combat individuals, and it still is, like, a very difficult thing for us to take out. And, like, you know, I, I have a, a science outpost, not a military one. So, like, just all the things of, like, what's going to happen if those Krogan get dropped off anywhere that I've already seen of this galaxy? Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, I get there, and there's literally only, like, three of them there, and it's just, like, ugh. Because, like, there's even, like, you you still, like, try to call for Reka and be, like, maybe there's a chance that we can go and save her, and there's just nothing. Like, she doesn't respond, and just, like, and Ryder even, like, says, like, to, you know, nothing in particular, like, I'm sorry, and just... Well, you get immediate remorse for this. My remorse for my decision comes a little bit later. <laughs> um yeah so we whatever decision we choose did you have to fight through a lot of cat to get to your thing yeah yeah okay yeah because yeah, i had to fight through just a shit ton of cat to get to where the salarians were being held uh and then we get detached we take off with the arc we're all good 
uh, and we get a little cutscene here where the Archon, we're, we're starting to get the sense that the Archon is maybe not the the highest up on the food chain of the cat mm-hmm. because we see him talking to, I, I forget what the name of the character is, it, it was like the, it was some very video game ass video game name uh but who kind of seemed like a let's say like a an ambassador or something like that like an udina type character uh yeah. for the cat who was talking to the archon and saying like your plan isn't working you need to stop obsessing with remnant tech we were supposed to exalt this entire cluster you still haven't done this why aren't you doing why aren't you working on this right now why are you so obsessed with remnant tech and he's like, people higher up, like, you know where these orders came from, people are talking. And the Archon's like, you, they just don't understand. Once we have Meridian, we can force everyone into exaltation. We don't have to, like, fight and capture them or anything. We can basically say, like, get exalted or we will annihilate your planet. Like, like you get an idea of why the Archon wants Meridian, because he sees it as a weapons mm-hmm. platform. Uh, and also, like, the end solution to exalting everything. Uh, so when we get back, uh, I see that for you, uh, because Reka died on the ship, uh, Hager, is, am, am I saying that right? Uh, right? Who's the captain of the ship, otherwise becomes the Pathfinder. For me, Reka is still alive. Uh, I do like you mentioned here that very similar to Ryder, like Hager never did training or anything like that. That's mm-hmm. an interesting thing to have because it will eventually fit in with all the pathfinders that we have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I but I did like I never really thought of I mean not to like jump too far ahead, but like I never really thought about that. But if Rekha's alive, she's the only one that was like supposed to be pathfinder. Has the job that was supposed to be here. Yeah. Well I and I liked oh, Rekha because even when I saved Rekha she was very much like, I wouldn't have made that decision if I was you. Mm. And I basically say, like, I can't judge because if that was me, if that was my people, I would have made the same call as you. And I would have, I would literally, like, called you as well and said the same thing. Uh, yeah. And we never know what decision we're going to make. We just try to make the best decision we can. I thought that was a very mature response for mm-hmm. uh, for my rider to make. And then Drac walks up. And so when Drac... Yeah. So for you, you got you got like kudos, you got thanks for saving yep. the scouts, uh, and and he kind of tells you like focus on on what went mm-hmm. well, you know. Right. Um, for me, so Drac walks up and first crosses with Reka, and they just kind of look at each other for a moment, and then Drac just says "earn this" and walks away, and I was like, "Ooh, I got like chills." Ooh. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, and Ooh, so that then made me like okay. dread. To- so then. Drac is like furious with me like to the point where I'm suddenly going did I just make a choice that's going to make me lose somebody from my squad and uh, he and I basically tell him like I'm sorry I had to make a choice in the moment I made the best call I could he says you did something worse if you'd killed them it would have been better because now they're just going to be these monstrosities right. it's a fate worse than death for my team that you just like uh, right. left them to and then you're basically like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he he's basically like, you're not the one who has to tell the other clans this. And so right. I thought that was like a moment where Drac was mad at me, but still understood that I made a choice that I had to make. And also acknowledges that like he can at least help me 
help Ryder not have to shoulder the burden a little bit. Like, like he can help carry that load a little bit. Mm. Now, granted, I then tried to talk to him afterwards, and he was just straight up like, do not talk to me right now. Like, I need mm-hmm. to calm down. Do not talk to me. And if you try to say sorry or something, he's like, walk away from me right now. Uh, hmm. So I was like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, I- I'm curious, how did Callow respond to your decision? I, it was, I mean, it was, there was not like the stone wall there of him much like not wanting to speak to me. But there is like, he does this moment of mourning them and being like some of them never got to see Andromeda. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not like the big you know friendship breaking thing the, that sounds like happened with you and Drew. The, the earnless really got me. I was like, oh yeah. shit. Um, yeah. So I'm reading I'm reading through your notes real quick just to make sure we're hitting everything before because I think we should do the Nexus stuff next. No, I mean let's do Turian yeah. arc next. Yeah. No, what's well? Let's before do let's. We, Wait, no, yeah, let's do Turian Arc next. Be- okay, because but I did want to, like, before we... the Nexus stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before we get to, like, everything else, it's in my notes here somewhere, but I don't... Like, I might have just gotten lost in the shuffle. We should probably talk about, like, the resolution between Callow and Gil. So I got... I don't think I've gotten that far with the relationship. Uh, the last bit of dialogue between them I had was... Uh, Callow was talking to Gil on the intercom and Gil's basically like, thanks for sending me the manual. It makes a great thing to put under the wobbly leg mm-hmm. on this workbench. So okay, yeah. I don't think I've gotten <laughs> that far yet. Oh, okay. I, all right, then. We, we can hold off on that, then. Okay, we can talk about it next week, maybe. I'll probably be there by next week because uh, I'm still working on advancing Gil's stuff. We can talk real quick about mm-hmm. the EOS mission, though, with Gil because you went to go do that during this section. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, because Gil doesn't have, like, a loyalty mission in the way that everyone else, or not, or, like, the squad mate does, I kind of want to address this now, because it, we can talk, like, we can kind of get the wrapping stuff when we get, like, to the very end of the season. But I just want to, like, establish my romance at this point, and because of the way that we're covering things, I might be hoeing it up later in the season, despite the fact that I am establishing the romance here. But just know that the timeline of the show is different from the timeline which I played it in the game. So... <laughs> Making excuses <laughs> for your actions here. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I can hoe it up until the romance is, like, established and the game doesn't let me anymore. So, the, the sort of, like, romance-establishing scene of Gil's is he wants to come meet Jill, his friend, um, on Eos, because he kind of, like, promised that, like, oh, the Pathfinder's gonna be there, and he can make an appearance and make me look. I hang out with important people. So, I've no- I don't really know how this scene plays out for, like, a female writer, or, like, or maybe even a male writer that's not pursuing Gil at all, but, so, like, you go on Eos, and he's, like, okay, she's only got, like, a minute or two, but she's, a uh, you know, she's in the process of, like, working on repopulation stuff, so there's a very strong chance that she's going to tell you about your civic duty as a man to, like, make things happen on this front. And I was just like, well, then she's going to figure out how quickly I can squash that topic. Hmm. So then he says something along the lines of, like, well, it doesn't really matter to me, though. It's not like I'm going to oops a baby out into the world, I think is what he said. And then he's like, but it does bring up a question about us, though, because 
when I'm this attracted to somebody normally and they seem like to also be attracted to me, things have start things have happened by now. So I need to know like am I supposed to introduce you to Jill as my friend who likes to flirt or something else? And it's like you have this funny moment where you can be like, Well, we haven't even kissed yet, so I don't really even know. Like chemistry matters. And then he'd like immediately just plants one on you in the middle of the ears. Mm. And he's like, So That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. The romance like, stuff is a, so much it, like it's so good this time around. I will say yeah. that it is very, very good this time around. Yeah. And like even after that you can be like, Let's just be friends and he's like, Oh, that didn't do it for you then, alright. <laughs> but then I'm like, okay then I'm like, no, let's you know, let's do this, let's be upfront with who, what we are. And then so Jill comes in and like before Gil can even introduce me as like his boyfriend, she, she's just like, Save it, I told you both to come here. Writer, I have one question for you. And then, I, like, I, you can joke and be like, you're going to ask to, like, reverse my procreation blocker so I can make babies. And she's like, and then she, like, looks at Gil like, why did you, like, why did you say that to him? Like, now, like, I see my reputation precedes me. But then she's like, no, I just want to know what your intentions are with my boy here. And then you, you can play it straight and be like, I'm very serious about him and this, I'm really excited to see where this goes. Or you can be like me and just be an absolute pain in the ass and just be like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, what is, what is she talking about, Gil? And so she freaks out. And then Roger's like, nah, this is my boy here. This is not yours. That's good. Like and then that. it's like, yeah. And so then Gil just like laughs and then she goes speechless. And then she just like looks at Gil and like, he's a keeper. And that's the end of the scene. Nah. It's nice. It's sweet. It's a, it's a good scene. It's like a really really sweet and I like it a lot we should uh, keep the good times rolling here because we're heading off to the Tyrion arc because we've got a little bit more info about it uh, f- so add to keep the good like, times this rolling this is going to be like yeah this is going to be like a real uptick in the show uh-huh. uh huh more like <laughs> I almost said that <laughs> uh, I can edit out whatever you say so like, you more like up dick <laughs> Oh. Um, so <laughs> at this point we've already I think you and I had already done the mission on Havarl where we ran across some people who were some Tyrians who were from the Tyrian arc in fact I think we mm-hmm. talked about it during that mission Yeah, but we can just get to do like a quick recap for yeah. anybody that might be joining us we, for this episode. we basically find uh, Avidus Rex who is a former Spectre uh, messing up some Rokar on Havarl and uh, it it sounds like Stasis pods have been jettisoned from mm-hmm. the Tyrian arc after coming into contact with the Scourge. So, Avidus Rex is is like the backup Pathfinder, is like second in command to Pathfinder. Uh, and they get a lot of like, you get a lot of hints early on that Avidus has a very close relationship with Mason, the Turian Pathfinder, because. It's like a line, if I know Mason, he's out there looking for me, and we have a connection and things like that. And you're kind of like, oh, you mean like the Sam in your head? He's like, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> my my female writer was just woefully like, oh, they're such good friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm... Whereas, whereas my writer has like the Spider-Verse moment, like, you're like... Yeah. <laughs> so... We get a message uh, that there's been some more stuff found on Elodin, so we're going to head out there. A bunch of pods landed. we got to kill a bunch of scavengers who are hanging out around it. Uh, and as we start scanning them, 
they're all dead. Mason is not among them, but one of the one of them has data in the pod that would give us an idea of where it was ejected from the arc, uh, which we can kind of use to like triangulate where it might be, uh, which is give it, it gives us an idea, and then we can update from Avidus that he's somehow getting coordinates in his head through his Sam implant. Uh, from wherever the arc actually is, and it's in the system that it was supposed to get to. It's it's near H seven four C or whatever uh, that weird weird ass planet. For some reason, they named everything else except this planet. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were just like, I don't know, fucking H O seven four C. That's what it's called. Good old home home on the H O seven four C. Rolls right off the tongue. Uh, so we're going to meet up with Avidus Rex and get in there and figure out what has been going on with this arc. Uh, and we play a little bit of that, you know, again, we're in the opening area of the arc. We're kind of going back through the the opening sections like we did when we first woke up, but we're doing some of this. Let's convert power from doors to open more doors. And, you know, it was kind of like video gamey, but it's a way for them to kind of meter mm-hmm. progress and just make sure that you're stopping and checking all the locks as you go, because, you kind of start to get the sense that things went very awry very fast. And also, they start talking about escape pods, not stasis pods, which was very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. So, basically, at this point, the Turian arc is just a freaking catastrophe. But it it made its way here. And part of what happened, it, as we gradually learn, uh, is that mason mason when when the arc got hit mason started to transfer control of sam over to avidus to take over uh but mason was killed in the process which made sam kind of go haywire and and Mm. goes kind of broken when you first find the sam node finally it's uh it's it's calling avidus avi so it's got like almost shards of mason's personality like lodged in it um and and all the while while we're getting there we're we're hearing all these audio logs where it's like it's kind of building up to this moment that you can kind of feel it like that pit in your stomach like mason did not make it Mm -hmm. uh we're getting audio logs of him like barely gasping and like oh how much further is it to abby only 300 meters it's not that far and like coughing and stuff like that no um so when we finally get to the Sam node, we find out that it was Sam itself that sent the coordinates, not Mason. Uh, and this not only is this kind of the moment where Avidus has to come to terms with the fact that Mason is dead, but that his last moments were to transfer it to Avidus mm-hmm. and, and for Avidus to become the new Pathfinder, which Avidus does not want to do. Avidus does not feel like he's ready to do so and also look at this point it's fairly on the nose the two were in love you know they they were in a relationship of some kind they they meant a great deal to each other they were such good friends ken <laughs> um no nah, they they were i, I don't do the turians have have a term for like life partner or anything like that have we have we discovered that yet in the history of i know that garris at one point calls shepherd like a female shepherd Boy, like she, she's, he says that she or he is her boyfriend. So that's what they are. That was what Avidus and Mason were. They were boyfriends. They they were gay. gay they were gay Turians. 
in space. Take that, boomers. We're out here. <laughs> so, um, it's Gatorian carbon path and finding them. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and it was a really touching moment. Like honestly, mm. like that's maybe one of the standouts for me so far in Andromeda, just because. It, first of all, I I was like struggling to think of whether we've actually had a gay uh, male character at this point. You know, like like a gay relationship that is not involved with Shepard in any way. The only the only thing I could think of was Mass Effect Three and Cortez. Uh, but even then, we're kind of seeing like yeah. the after effects, and this is like a very Cortez esque character, the right. way that it's framed. But having it, having it be this character who is a Pathfinder, who's kind of in the same situation as Ryder, like, I'm, like I was just immediately like, this is this is good writing. Like, I really enjoy this. I was kind of yeah. I was kind of bummed that it was like they had to kill him off. Like they had to kill off Mason. Like couldn't just have two gay Turians in space living yeah. it up like we gotta yeah i wasn't i wasn't wild about that but it yeah it's a very like barrier gaze sort yeah. of trope that i mean sucks but it's like i don't know like i if you do decide to tell avidus to like be the pathfinder like carry on mason's mm-hmm. legacy and like honor his last wish all four like i mean if you're if you're playing a gay writer or by writer all the Pathfinders are queer in this game. What I think is fucking awesome, like, the the Andromeda Spectres, basically. Mm-hmm. They're all just a bunch of fucking fruits, and I love it. Oh, I'm trying to... So, is is Hager, like... Or ha- well, Hager, Solarians Hager. are, like... <laughs> Hager. Solarians are, like, asexual, okay. basically. Okay, so... And, like, like Morden even says, like, they have, like, no sex drive. So. Okay, so, yeah, then in my... In both of our playthroughs, we have two gay pathfinders and one ace pathfinder <laughs> yeah all right and then this the asari that we will eventually get to like there we go the asari that their very premise is to be free and flowing uh-huh hell yeah it's space baby uh gays only event everyone else go home <laughs> it was it was a nice way to kind of like cap off my playtime, which i literally ended like probably about five minutes before we started recording this uh but it was it was a nice little way of ending it. And so then we go to the Nexus because we need to have a congregation of the Pathfinders, which I was thinking about at the time. I was like, maybe I should have gone to do some of the Asari arc because I don't know if by this point you could also have the Asari Pathfinder with you. Yeah, you can have all of them okay. at this point. Well, dang, we should have timed that. Well, I mean, we're talking about it next week anyways, but maybe maybe should have held off on this last part until after we had the Asari Pathfinder. Oh, well. Um, well, we're already here, so yeah. Uh, so we we assemble the Pathfinders. First of all, when we touch down on uh, the Nexus, no matter what, the Salarian Ark has kind of come home to roost, and all the Salarians are are entering. Were, were there less Salarians for you? Like, did it feel like there was less of a presence because of the choice you made? There might have been, um, but like at least not in this initial scene because like they're just you know it's a crowd of Solarians regardless did you get a did you get a scene near the end where like two Solarians approach you and are like you saved our lives and all that yeah yeah okay okay um Tan is is ecstatic but at least starts to acknowledge that Ryder is doing work Ryder's getting it done gets to take a bow Mm. uh but then we go to Pathfinder HQ well first real quick I do want to mention I did the PB 
uh, secret project thing while I was here because the apartments were like right oh, yeah. next to it. Um, yeah. And that was cool because not only do we get introduced to a special ability that PB opens up, which is she's been collecting all this remnant tech to build her own remnant VI uh, that can like transport down and be summoned in fights and things like that. And that I imagine we'll probably get more upgrades and things like that as we find more remnant tech. Uh, mm. But we also get introduced to her counterpart, let's say, um, whose name I'm suddenly <laughs> blanking on. Why do I always write in the moment? Um, I'm going to look this up real quick. PB, not Peeb. <laughs> um, this is great radio. Kalinda. Uh, so yeah. PB joined the Andromeda Initiative with her then girlfriend Kalinda, and uh, as we have already learned by this point in getting to know her, uh, they split, and it was not amicable. Mm-hmm. So as we're hanging out in PB's apartment, uh, Kalinda walks in and is like, "What's going on, babe? Just want to know what's going on here, babe." And oh, <laughs> I have you done this mission yet? Not for this playthrough, but like I mean, I've, I've done the mission. So you I know it. you gave the reply where you're like, uh, "Why do you gotta be co- so condescending, babe?" <laughs> like, did you get <laughs> do you get that line from? The, yeah, yeah, oh, it's yeah. so good. I was like, "Oh, that line gave me life." <laughs> uh, oh, and so, uh, we we kind of escort Kalinda out, let her know that uh, it's Monday, and that's when we take out the trash. And then we we have a little talk with PB, and PB kind of brings us up to speed and lets us know, you know, like, hey, yeah, that was that was Kalinda, you know, she's kind of still in my life and still like shows up to make me feel like shit. And if you take the romantic option, which I did, Ryder can be like, you know, I'm here to talk if you ever need it. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up because that one dialogue option is just life giving. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we go over to the Pathfinder HQ, and. The tone is very different in there for me because I, I'm sure for you, Tan was probably not thrilled about the fact that you brought back a bunch of Krogan scouts and not the Solarian Pathfinder. He was not. Uh, for me, uh, and Kesh, God, I'm so bad with names today. Kesh, right? Kesh. Kesh, uh, Kesh was pretty damn angry that I did not save the Krogan scouts. And I, I believe the way she phrased it was, not only did you let some Krogan get turned into monsters, but the people you brought back were Solarians too. <laughs> like she just like goes <laughs> off and Yeah, Tan Tan says something along the lines of like, Oh, he saw those Krogan and had a sentimental choice because he thought of you. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's I was like maybe so. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Still bringing our mess from the galaxy forward. Not great. Yeah. Um and I was I was kind of annoyed that none of the options I was given like let me say what my reasoning was, which was just like I wanted to save a Pathfinder. Uh, I I don't know, but at, at this point we basically say there no matter what they kind of criticize the idea that you antagonize the Archon and that you are basically inciting yeah. war with the Ket, even though like motherfuckers, what do you think? What do you think we're doing right now? <laughs> mm. uh, but they're kind of like you know what do you what did you gain from this you start to explain what meridian is and all of the andromeda initiative is basically like 
how do you know that would even work? Like, we have no guarantee that yeah. this would work, and it's a suicide mission if we try. We're not doing this. Uh, and no matter what, I imagine for Tan, for you, probably said it for me, it was Cash. They said, like, the Andromeda Initiative is not doing this. Uh, and that's yeah. when you kind of gather up with the other Pathfinders, who, for me, it was Reka and Avidus. For you, it was Avidus and uh, Hager. And you're kind of like, well, if the Andromeda Initiative isn't going to do it, then we're going to have to do it. And right as you're about to set up a plan to put into motion, uh, you get to call it your your siblings awake. So you like immediately jet on over there. Uh, this was a nice little scene too. I really enjoyed it. Mm. Uh, having so obviously like my brother Ryder was <laughs> a looks nothing like me, which I left it like default yep. Ryder, which was kind of funny. Uh, I just choose to head candidate as like one of them was adopted and they don't know which one. <laughs> I think that Jesus I think Christ. that's a fun way of doing it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's you get a little moment where you're you're exchanging. They they called me out on on making the thing up about the home planet, but but they yeah. were basically like, you know, I, I'm not going to hold it against you or whatever. Just don't yeah, don't baby same. me or whatever I can take it. Uh yeah, no more lies. Yeah, but they were they're very appreciative of telling them about dad and all that. So just just another sweet moment and also like a way to kind of humanize Ryder a little bit because at this point you know, you do have a moment where Ryder has to be like, you know, they can relax a little bit, and they can be themselves, but then they have to be like, well, I am the Pathfinder. You have to listen to me like don't do something stupid, get rest. You're not ready yeah. yet. It was it was a nice reminder of where they're at, and uh, then yeah. we close out with the Pathfinders uh, get together with one of the doctors on the Nexus, and they have come up with a new way of basically like simulating a bunch of ships or just make like a new stealth system. The the description I didn't quite get what they were going for, but it kind of sounds like they have a bunch of ships and they can make them all look like the Tempest so the Archon won't know which ship is which ship and so that's how they're going to like infiltrate Meridian or something. Uh I was I was kind of close enough. Yeah, look. It, it, the the idea is that it can scramble their systems where they'll see a bunch of like false flags of the Tempest. Ah, okay, okay, okay. It <laughs> Its name is the Ghost Storm, which is a great name. Tom Clancy's Ghost Storm coming out this November. Uh, <laughs> really thrilled about that, and that's kind of where it drops us. And so this is this puts us as a, at a weird point for Andromeda because now we're kind of just given like, hey, you know, go do some open world bullshit, get the resources you need to research the Ghost Storm, and then you're going to jump into the end game. So we are, for all intents and purposes, at the end game of Andromeda already. Somewhat like six episodes in, or something like that. That that is a weird thing. Like, at least like in terms of like the main missions, it has about as many as like Mass Effect One, with about half the loyalty missions of Mass Effect Two. Mm-hmm. So it, it is one of those weird things, like. If you like breaking the game down into like bullet points, there's not much more than there ever has been. It just kind of feels that way because it is, you know, there's open world bullshit in the middle of all of it. But yeah, so like at this point, we've got 
Well, I guess we can we can run down. The yeah, that's that's what schedule. Like we don't need to. That's what my idea was. Yeah. Uh, that's what that's what my idea was. Was that we basically go, okay, let's look at what the schedule is going to look like. Uh, we're not going to announce all of our guests yet because obviously we do. Uh, from here on out, fingers crossed, we will have a guest for every single one of our loyalty missions uh, going down all the way to the last one, and. We have a lot of stuff to <laughs> to talk about here, but uh, starting next week, we're going to do all of Korra's loyalty missions, and uh, I believe we can confirm that we do have a guest. We're not exactly sure who it's going to be yet, because we're kind of talking to a few people and figuring out who's going to work for that, so it'll just be a surprise for the listeners at home who's going to be up for that. Uh, the week after, so October 2nd, the day after uh, Destiny Shadowkeep drops, uh We'll be doing. I would have never known that until you said that right now, dude. I just, I, do, I write video game news, dude. I have to know that. Um, well, that'll be a Liam. We'll be doing the Liam mission. Uh, the next following week, October 9th, we'll be doing Vetra, then Drac, PB, and Jal in that order, uh, and then once we get around to November, first uh, episode of November. We're just going to have an episode where we kind of do a lot of side quests and pathfinding. So I think the idea with that is that we're going to save all the outpost stuff and also a lot of the major side quests. I think the ones we've already identified have been uh, the... Well, uh, the arc missions will get covered either by loyalty missions or main campaign missions, which already happened for two of them. But uh, I know Movie Night was one that you identified, Ken, mm. as well as uh, the Ryder Family Secrets. I think we can basically say anything that falls under that Allies and Companions yeah. one uh, that is not part of the Loyalty Mission, we will cover then. Because we'll probably also talk a little bit about Suvi and Gildare. Uh, basically just anything that would fall outside of companion loyalty missions but is still meaty enough to talk about and that's kind of open and we'll also talk a little bit about settling some of the different home worlds obviously some of them will have a little bit more to them than others i imagine we'll probably talk a little bit more about places like kadara over like havarl so um mm. we'll kind of see how that all pans out and then eleven thirteen, 13 uh november 13th will be meridian so after <laughs> We, we are at one point in the story on, uh, let's see, um, September 18th, and a full two months from now, we will move to the next part of the story. <laughs> like, that sounds ridiculous, but, like, that is the same way that we did Mass Effect 2, so, like, it's not, they're, they're used to it by now, just like a, mm-hmm. like a couple month long break y'all are used to it no plot yeah and it well it gives us time too because like we just talked in this episode about how much extra stuff there is to do and so the way we've kind of been planning it and even when i was talking to ken he was kind of encouraging me to play this way which was hit the main story stuff first and get that out of the way because then we just have a bunch of weeks open to do not only the loyalty missions but that gives us time to go and do all the outposts and do all the side quests because there's a lot of like minutiae in there and that gives us a lot of time to be taking care of that stuff so we don't have say one week where we have to do every single habitat world that would be bonkers i would not be able to do that i would die so uh if you like hearing me die 
you should go and support our Patreon, patreon.com slash normandyfm, where uh, we have a little fund open for you to help support us. It helps keep the the lights on around here. Uh, it helps us, you know, like, put stuff up every week and dedicate time to this. And also, we are surprisingly close to our donation incentive for uh, Dragon Age, all the Dragon Ages, because we put them all in one tier. <laughs> Can, I mean, what was I, supposed, was I supposed to put the good games in like one tier and then the bad ones? And you could like, just the next put tier? Dragon Age two and then Inquisition and then put Origins at the end. With... Hey, we played through Mass Effect one. We can play through Dragon oh, Age Origins. God, but that's all three Dragon Ages. <laughs> it's, it's so much. They're not as oh. long as you probably remember. <laughs> I feel like that's what you said about Andromeda. <laughs> If this is the kind of content that you enjoy paying for is hearing me suffer and can laugh at my suffering and take enjoyment in it, you can support it at patreon.com slash normdfm. Whoever donates, we love all of you who donate. You're all great. You're all fantastic. We're so happy to have you listening. All of our guests that come on are always so happy about the the outpouring of support and stuff that they receive from appearing on the show. Uh, I do want to shout out one of our shout out tiers, Ruben. Thank you so much for continuing to donate. You rule. You're awesome. And if you want a shout out, you got to donate at the right tier. So take a look at those. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Uh, also, if you just want to follow along, you know, no harm, no foul. You can follow along free. That's fine by us. Uh, head over to twittercom show and follow that account. And that's where we post all our updates as you know, when things go live for patrons as well as live for everyone to listen to on our soundcloud spotify and uh google play and itunes yes uh on so many services it's great and then uh you can follow along there and you'll get to see all those updates as well as ken's incredible mass effect shit posting uh if you if you want to see really <laughs> good mass effect shit posts follow the normandy fm account that's twitter twitter.com slash normdfm show i was pretty proud of that that garris one it was a very good garris one it was a very good one if if i did not like that i'm gonna go double check and make sure that i did because i remember seeing (laughs) that and being like good job good job ken (laughs) he's gotta always keep your eye out for like the the details that can give you a shit post and that was one of them That'll do it for us for this week. Next week, we will be talking all things Korra and all things Asari, because what else will we talk about with Korra? We will have a guest on. If we don't talk about it, she certainly will. God knows that. We will have a guest on. We don't know who it is quite yet. It'll be a surprise for you. It'll be a surprise for us. It'll be a surprise for everybody. So until then, we'll see you next time on Normandy FM. Yeah,